Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, man, this is awesome. This is like a sign of things to come, getting it packed out. Rachel's ready for fruit by the foot. She's up on her feet. Yeah, you get some of this. So we're in our, we're finishing off our fruit. That's for Rachel. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, who's, who wants some fruit by the foot here in the middle? Oh, this is, all, this is the last day of the series. Oh, I got to give it to the newlyweds. Look at you guys. Looking good. Yes. That was a hot wedding, guys. <laughs> that was awesome. James and Shantia got married. I was talking about you guys when I said a hot wedding. Not the heat. What did you think I meant? Obviously. All right, all right. Who else? Who else? Let's go. One other in the middle here. Woo. I'm, oh, sorry, Tom. <laughs> you got to be looking out. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, that's all she wrote, guys. Happy 4th of July. All right. Man, what a good day to be together. And we're, we're just doing one service today. So we're just going to get through this message. You know, I mean, it could be good. It could be bad. It could be, you know, ugly. But at least it'll be short. Come on, somebody. That's a good service on 4th of July. But I, I do have to say, I don't know if you've heard this, but the Ducks are kind of in line for like two five-star players today. So if we could all just bow our heads real quick. Just kidding. <laughs> Man, uh, do something for me. Would you put your, uh, your hand out like this, okay, and then turn it this way, facing you, and put it like this. Okay, lean forward. Pat yourself on the back. You came to church on the 4th of July. That's impressive. You're like a real Christian. Come on. If you're, like, uh, if you're in church on the 4th of July, and if you're watching online, I will extend this to you as well. Uh, but, but if you're in church on the 4th of July, like, come on, you, you're a bit holier than thou. You know what I'm saying? You really are, because other people are out like at lakes and, you know, barbecues, and we're here in church. Come on. But uh, it's, it's an awesome time. You're, you're definitely serious about God if you're in church on 4th of July. We're going to get into our Fruit by the Foot series and wrap this thing up here in just a minute. But I, I just want you guys to know, how many of you know this is 4th of July, this is Independence Day, we're talking about Murica today, this is, this is Murica Day, this is fireworks. And I don't, if you think I'm not serious about, how many of you have heard me talk about camping and the great outdoors and all that? And I kind of played up that I don't really like it, but I've already been camping this year. We're going camping tomorrow. And I want you to show, I want you to know that I'm serious about the great outdoors and specifically about Murica. So this is my outfit from a few years ago, camping that I wore, just in case you weren't sure. <clears throat> Can you all see that? Yeah. That is, a, that is a bald eagle on my shirt with the American flag, combat boots, white socks, legs like that are illegal in four U.S. states, trucker hat. Okay, you can get that monstrosity off there. I am, I'm, I'm very serious about this day and excited about it. So, hey, we're going to have a party after this out in the parking lot, have some good food. We're providing hot dogs uh, for everybody that, that wants that. And then if you want to purchase uh, a hamburger basket, uh, uh, Bone Daddy Barbecue's out there. He's going to be doing it upright. I'm probably upgrading to the hamburger basket. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's probably my, my go-to uh, there. But, man, I'm excited about that. We're going to have a party. But let's jump into the Word of God today and, uh, and really feast on God's Word and finish off this series on Fruit by the Foot. We've been talking about this passage in Galatians 5 that says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control, there is no law against these things. Today we're talking about self-control. Somebody say, self-control. Turn to your neighbor and say, control thyself. That's what we want. How many of you know we love self-control when it's your neighbor? Come on. But when it comes to you, and as my dad would always say, your flesh, right? Your flesh. We said it. Kind of gross. It's hard. Self-control is tough, isn't it? Even when you know the right thing to do, it's hard to, to go that direction. But what we know is that we've been talking about this for the last uh, couple of months even, a couple, you know, 10 weeks I think we've been on this. We've been talking about that where the Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. The Holy Spirit wants to produce this fruit of self-control. Yes, even on the 4th of July, where you would look at that sixth hot dog and say, you know, that fourth, you know, after you, after you, after you went and bought the illegal fireworks, right, from Washington or wherever you got them, you, you'd have some restraint, right? Uh, I'm just teasing, but, but the Holy Spirit wants to produce this fruit. Where the Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. And it's not us. It's not our own, you know, discipline and our ability to do what we need to do because we have the right knowledge. It's about the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives. It's the difference between striving and thriving. And we want to thrive in the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but just maybe by a show of hands, and if we all participate, it won't be as embarrassing. How many struggle with self-control? Right? I know I do. I, uh, I, I know I do. Like, I, I typically know the right things to do, and I typically make wrong decisions on a pretty consistent basis, enough where I recognize this is an issue for me. This word self-control that we see in Galatians chapter 5 is the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Galatia here. In Greek is the word ingratia. There we go. It kind of sounds Italian, but ingratia. And it means mastery or self-control. The way it's used in this uh, language and and for us today is self-mastery, self-restraint, self-control. And in ancient times, it was actually used to describe being continent, continents, right? So in other words, you can control what's happening downstairs, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, When you don't control yourself, you tend to make a mess of yourself. So how many of you are like pro-continents? Come on. (laughs) I mean, for me, it's like that uncontrollable diarrhea is always a bad day. I've never had it where it was like, man, this made my life better, right? We enjoy actually having control. And that's what this word actually means. And I apologize, that's as raunchy as it's going to get today. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe. Hopefully, hopefully. But self-control, continence, actually being able to control yourself is a really, really good thing. Because oftentimes, lack of control, being out of control, is where we get into big trouble, right? It's where we really make a mess. Bethany and I were talking about this message. I said, hey, do you have any stories or anything about self-control? She goes, well, yeah, I have a couple things. But one of the ones that she reminded me of was our daughter, Penny. We, you know, she's the youngest. And the youngest child, raise your hand if you're youngest child. Okay, Jesus, I just pray right now for for them. (laughs) Just help them, please. But uh, youngest children, I don't know about youngest kids. I mean, we had two. We were kind of like, we're done. And then we had a whoops. And then we have a youngest. So Penny's here. I'm glad about it. I'm glad that she's here. But man, she's a handful a little bit. So we were trying to help her with patience. So we taught her that song. Have patience. Have patience. Don't be in a hurry. Right? Have you heard this one before? No? Well, now you have. Have patience, have patience, don't be in a hurry. And so one day, Bethany heard Penny singing the song, except for she had changed the words. 
impatience, impatience, I am in a hurry. <laughs> no, that's not, no. You didn't get, no. We need to go back around the mountain. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Impatience, impatience, I am in a hurry. That's the inner cry of our hearts, that we want what we want, we want it now, and we don't want to be restrained. We actually just want it. And so the writer of Proverbs is actually saying, look, we, we really value people that are heroes, the guy, the warrior that takes a city, or the, the hero athlete that wins the game in the ninth inning, or whatever it may be. But actually, the real battle is on the inside. This internal conflict is the, the real conflict, and it's the difficult one. And if you get this working in your life, look, you're better than a champion, better than a warrior really getting a hold of this. So we're talking about self-control. I, I don't know about you, but I do not like being out of control. Uh, I remember that scene from The Office where Jim, he tells his wife Pam, he's like, I'm frazzled, Pam, and you know me, I don't like to be frazzled. You, know, you remember this scene? And that's exactly me. I do not like to be frazzled. I like to kind of have the future, you know, planned out and sort of be uh, in control. Now, lest you think I always like I'm just power hungry or something, most of the time I am, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that I like things to be in order. I like, you know, everything has a place, right? Everything's sort of in order. I like my appearance to be in order. That's why I don't like it when my children are like, hey, dad, and now there's mustard on my shirt, which probably will happen today, right? With all the hamburgers and hot dogs being served. But I don't like things to sort of be out of order. Anybody else? So a couple years ago, well, this is now many years ago. It's probably more than a decade ago. Bethany says to me, hey, a bunch of the people from church, we were down at Joy Medford at the time, a bunch of the people from church are going to go rafting down the Rogue River, right? Now, here's the thing. Did you know people drown in rivers? I didn't know if you've heard that before. I've heard that. Every year they're like, it's tragic. This person, you know, they drown. And that's really sad. So I just figure we should not go there. Anybody else? Well, it's beautiful. Well, I don't care. I mean, you can look at a beautiful river on National Geographic. You can look at all the rivers of the world in like 10 minutes. And you could get a fan and you could feel what it feels like. I mean, I'm on the river. You could have your kid come and drop ice water down your back. That's basically the experience. People are like, Rogue River is so beautiful. You could see all these animals. I'm like, I don't, I just, no, I don't care about that. Uh, it's so beautiful, you know, and it's snow fed. So the water is so cold, it literally hurts. Have you been on the river, right? The Rogue River is like freezing cold. Anyways, Bethany says a bunch of our friends are going to go river rafting. And so me, being the very loving and self-controlled and just godly man that I am, I said, sure. So we, we had a, a little, was it called a Tahiti? Yeah, it's a Tahiti, which is this uh, basically, you know, very, very thin plastic material that you blow up and then you're supposed to go down a river that actually people die in all the time. So we get in our Tahiti and we go with these friends and, and we, we get out there on the river. Now, the thing about the river is like it just rivers even if you don't want it to river. You know what I mean? You're like, hey, hold on a second. I'm getting used to it. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. It just goes on and on. So you're out of control right off the bat. The minute you get in, you're like, well, I'm going with this, right? I started in Shady Cove, and now I'm, you know, in Medford. I don't know how I got here, but basically it's going to move you along no matter what. It just rivers, right? You can't do anything. You can't be out in the river like, ah, you can't do anything. It's just so powerful. So we get in the river. We're in our Tahiti. I was trying to stay out of the water because it's frigid. 
and people are like using those, those water cannons, right? It, literally, those things are used to, to drill holes in concrete. We actually had our contractors out here using those exact same things, you know, to drill in concrete. And then when you're on the river, people are like, I'll shoot it right into your face, <laughs> which is another reason why I just stay away from this, right? And so we get out there, people are already spraying, People are going down the river and, you know, inner tubes like, it's not that cold. I'm like, dude, you're blue. You have hypothermia. <laughs> it's 200 degrees out here in Medford and the water is literally minus, you know, it's below freezing. So we get in the river, we're in our Tahiti and we didn't realize this, but, you know, Bethany's, she's experienced. She's actually like really awesome. You know, she's basically Indiana Jones. And so she, uh, she, she's out on the river she knows what she's doing. She's gone river rafting with her parents, or her dad, I suppose, and, and uh, you know, done all this river rafting. So she's instructing me, and I'm back at the back of the, the Tahiti, and I'm trying to, you know, do the, 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 what is it, the paddle. I'm trying to steer, whatever. That's how experienced I am. And I'm trying to stay away from the water. So I'm doing it, and she's like, hey, you got to do it this way. And I'm like, I'm doing it. And so we're having a marital spat on the river. As the river is rivering, it's cold, it's, it's horrible, it's terrible. I was in no good, horrible, bad day. So we're on the river and I'm paddling and she's like, you got to do this differently. And we're just, we keep drifting to the side and we just kept drifting, not on purpose. And we keep hitting these rapids. And so water comes in our boat. So I'm like, ah, screaming like a man. And we finally, we can't get the, the stupid Tahiti to go straight. And finally we go into these rapids and there's these massive rocks and they are going totally sideways and we're going into them sideways, which even I know is not the way you're supposed to do it. So she's yelling at me. I'm yelling at her, I'm soaking wet, I'm freezing cold, I see a bald eagle, I'm like, that's nice, but that was the only pleasant thing. And go, we go down and finally the side of our Tahiti completely collapses because we didn't realize it had a leak, totally collapses, we go into the, the water and we're just getting battered in these rapids and I try to stop the river to save my wife's life because I just went into like, I'll save you mode, I don't know what happened, I just turned into like a hero as I went into that frigid water probably hypothermia setting in. And so I'm trying to grab her and she's like, let me go. We have to just let it take us. <laughs> and I was literally trying to stop the river. I was trying to like block, like, like catch it myself in rocks. And she's like, you're going to die. So we get washed up like a bunch of drowned rats on the side of the river. We get pushed off into this sort of little area. And um, we decide that we need to, you know, our Tahiti's flat. We I had one shoe. I don't think you had any shoes. <laughs> The biggest indignity of them all was our lunch was now gone. So who doesn't want like a half water soaked old bologna sandwich, you know, after three hours in the blazing heat with people shooting freezing cold water at you? Like that was gone. So no food. We, we climb up in some lady in Shady Cove's yard and we basically climb through uh, blackberries, which was fun with no shoes. And she goes, hey, I saw that your guys Tahiti's flat, you know, and she was so nice to us. You know, I really appreciate this person. And she's like, do you have like a phone? Or we're like, no, we have, we kind of need you to take us to town. And so she ended up putting us in her van, two drowned river rats in her van and takes us into uh, Shady Cove. And we basically waited for our friends where we actually had the company take us back. That was our river story. And now you know why I don't want to go on the river, right? If you have a boat that maybe has like more stability than the Tahiti, I'll do it. But we were completely out of control on the river. No matter what I did, the river was going to river. I couldn't control it. I was basically a slave to this process that was playing out. 
And I want to talk about this in light of self-control today because my first point is this, that you can't control the river of life. Life is going to do what life's going to do and you're going to be along for the ride most of the time, right? But how many of you would say, man, I actually resist that. Like, you're like me. You're trying to put your feet out as the rogue river pushes you along at rapid pace. And you think, if I'm strong enough, if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, or if I'm disciplined enough or whatever, I can basically control the river of life. Well, the answer is you can't control the river of life. Circumstances, problems, and opportunities and good stuff are going to happen. In the Bible, it says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, that's actually not meaning a bad thing. It's actually saying good things happen to good people and bad people because rain in that culture was a good thing. For us, it's kind of like, oh, it rains on bad people and good people. But actually, it was the opposite meaning. They're, they're saying everybody gets these blessings because of God's creation. Things are going to happen in life, and you can't control the river. But this is where the gift and the beauty of self-control comes in. Because though you can't control the river of life, you can control yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when you have a boat that floats and an oar that actually takes you where you want to go, you can't control the flow of life. But what you can do is navigate along that flow and get to the place you want to go. See, our problem wasn't that the river was rivering. It's that we couldn't, we didn't have a boat that boated. You with me? Also a brain, I didn't have a brain that brained because uh, <laughs> I'm making up words today. It's just 4th of July. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but with self-control, without self-control, what happens in life is you end up in the drink, getting battered by the river of life, washed up on the shore, and dependent on someone else to clean up your mess. This is what a lack of self-control does. It puts you in positions where you're dependent on other people to clean up your mess, just like we were at this time. But the beauty of self-control is that God wants to give you the tools to give you that boat and give you that oar to be able to practice self-control so though you can't control the river of life, you can actually sail along merrily. You can actually navigate through the good and the bad. Just like on a river, there's the, the, the serene, you know, halcyon parts, the calm parts, and there's the parts that are very dangerous and the big rapids and the rocks. And you're going to go through both of those in life, aren't you? You're going to have those nice, pleasant experiences where you're just floating along calmly and it's all nice and you're eating your sandwich that you actually didn't lose in the river and it's good. And then there's those parts where it's rapids. But when you have the tools that God gives you to actually walk in self-control, then you can navigate the river. So what are the tools that God gives us? I'm going to give you three today. The first tool that God gives us is his word. I'm talking about reading the Bible and, and getting God's word inside of you that begins to reform and reshape and fashion your thinking so that you can think God's thoughts after him and actually navigate in life in an, in an appropriate and wise way. It says in Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. When you don't know what to do, God's word gives you instruction. Even when you think you know what to do, sometimes God's word will come and disagree with you. And what do you think you should upgrade to? God's perspective. Here's the deal. I don't know how smart you are, but I know how smart I'm not. And every time I think I know better than God about anything that comes to morality or what, you know, how the world works or anything like that, where I think I'll fulfill myself, my choices, my desires, my actions will lead me to fulfillment. When I pursue my own way and I ignore God's word, I end up in the drink, washed up on shore, crawling through blackberry bushes, and somebody else has to clean up my mess. But God's word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to, to guide us, a light for our path. And God's word gives us 
the right thoughts and the right thing. It's a tool to help us navigate the river of life. The second tool that God gives us is prayer. Now, prayer oftentimes is construed or, or reflect, uh, represented as me talking to God, but it's actually a conversation with God. It's both speaking to God and giving God your requests and your petitions and also receiving from God instruction, encouragement. It's that two-way intimate conversation, intimate relationship. Sometimes I fall uh, prey to this as a husband. My wife is actually incredibly gracious. If you've met Bethany, you know this, but if you haven't, take my word for it and meet her because she's amazing. But oftentimes in life, I get really excited about stuff and I'll just start monologuing at Bethany. I'll be like, yeah, I'm telling you everything I want to know attention about this. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like patiently listening, patiently listening. And then she'll start talking to me and I'll be like, not listening. And she'll be like, hey, babe, I sort of listened to you for like, you know, the last 30 minutes about the re- most boring topics in the entire universe. <laughs> Guys, I was telling her about options, the Greeks in options trading. I was like, delta, theta, vega, gamma. The, you know what I mean? Ed and I would have fun and Greg talking about this, but Bethany not, you know. And, uh, and she listened to me so patiently. And then she's like telling me things that actually matter. She's like, hey, what are we going to do for vacation? Or like, let's talk about the kids. And I'm like, whoa. And I don't even listen. Like, that's not good. Come on, that's not good. So men, this is a marriage lesson today, right? Just listen to your wife. It's important, right? And, and wives, listen to your husband. But prayer is an interactive relationship of speaking and listening to God. And it's a tool of navigation in life. People will often say, hey, uh, I need to pray about this. And then what that means is, I didn't want to say yes or no right now, but you're not going to pray about it. Like how many times in life, for me, it's probably 40% that I actually do pray about things. You know what I mean? And I want to upgrade that because I want to actually get into the presence of God and slow down enough to yes, speak to him, but also hear his voice. So if you're taking anything away from this, out of this point here about prayer, is take time to listen to God and hear what he says to you. Because no matter what you're saying to him, I would say it's at least 10 times more important to capture what he's saying to you, right? It's a tool for navigation. The third one is community. Other people to keep you on the path. Have you ever had a really, really good idea? Yeah, once, once. Yeah, we all get one, Bruce, in life, you know. And then you tell it to someone else and it's not a good idea. This happens all the time in our marriage. One of us will be like, I was thinking, and then we say it out loud, and we're like, I'm going to reel that one back in. (laughs) Has this ever happened to you? There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. One of the uh, biggest mistakes that we make in our Western, self-actualized, highly individualistic, affluent culture is that we have diminish the importance of the tribe, diminish the importance of community, diminish the importance. We've, we've heightened our own sense of, I know what to do, and I'm self-actualized, and so I'm, I, I'm going to basically self-determine all of my courses of actions, and if it makes me happy, I'll do it, and all of this kind of stuff, and we're, we miss out on the beauty of being part of a tribe that actually says, wait, wait, wait a second, that's not really a good idea. There is safety in numbers. There's safety in 
the, the tribe, right? We could talk all about this, but God gives us the gift of the church, the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the called out to gather that you're brought from isolation in your sin and destruction and loneliness. And God sets the solitary in families. God brings you into his family and the family has rules and it has chores and it has restrictions, but it has protection and it has safety and it has destiny and inheritance that comes with the family. So I want you to think about this, that in the river of life, you can't control what's going on in the river of life, but God has given you a tool of navigation, which is putting you into community where you submit yourself mutually. Now, let me tell you something. It's been, I think, misconstrued in churches and other religious gatherings. It's like, well, you guys all need to submit to me. No, we submit to each other. Yes, God has put Bethany and I as the, the father and the mother of this house. Absolutely, we carry an authority there. Our eldership team carries an authority. The pastoral staff carries authority, and we do submit to that. But we all submit to each other. There's a mutual submission here. I'm actually submitted to you and submitted to God in various areas. I trust there's people in this church that if, I, if they said to me, Jake, I don't think this is a good course of action. I'm not going to be like, well, I'm the pastor. I'm going to be like, why did, you know, Mark, why did you, why do you think that? I'm going to listen because I know that if I'm all on my own, I'm probably going to end up on the side of the shore in the blackberry bushes. Come on, somebody. One of the first things the enemy will do to destroy you, it's just like a lion or a, a, or a cheetah trying to get a gazelle out of the herd, is they'll try to isolate you and get you all by yourself away from the tribe. But there's something about walking in community where you, you are in safety because you have other people with wisdom and insight and God speaking to them to, to walk in that safety. So that's a tool of navigation. Number two, number one was this, you can't control the river of life. Number two is this, you can't control other people. Somebody say, dang. <laughs> How many of you try to drive for other people? Like I'll be on the belt line, I'll be like, turn left, you're like in my lane. You know, I'm trying to drive for them. But you can't, right? You, you can't control their people. Bethany and I, for a long time, we led this Bible college internship group. And man, we'd have like, it was basically like being parents to a bunch of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, but they acted a lot like younger kids. And I did too when I was a part of it. So there's, there's no shame in that. But they would come to us and they'd be mad at one of their fellow interns. So it'd be like, this person did this or this person did this, they would tattle, right? They would tell on us. And so we had developed this phrase because at some point it's like, look, I don't have time for this. And we even say it to our kids. And I say this all the time. And I said it all the time then. I would say, hey, you can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond. You can't control how somebody else drives. You can't control how your husband talks to you. You can't control how your wife does or does not do whatever. You can't control how I preach on Sunday. If I go 20 minutes over, you can. You can leave the church, but don't do that. You know, you, you, we can't control other people. Well, I want them to vote this way. I want them to think this way. We should do this about COVID. No, we shouldn't do that about COVID. We can't control other people. And you'll actually go mad trying to, yeah. won't you? There's, there's, a, there's a category of people, both on the political left and the political right, that are basically becoming uh, hot embers of anger that are just always boiling and burning at the other side. Just always burning and boiling. Well, it's the liberals or it's the conservatives, it's the Republicans, it's this group. And, and you, they're spending their entire life and all of their coupons of life, they're spending it being angry and upset about things they can't control. That is not a good way to live. You can't control other people, but what you can control is your response. 
In the book of Psalms, there was a man named Asaph. He wrote Psalm 73. And in the Psalm 73, he says, my feet, my steps had almost slipped because I saw the wicked. I saw how they were getting away with it. They were doing whatever they wanted and God wasn't doing anything. How many of you have ever had this emotion? My sister, she called me a fathead and now my dad didn't even hear her and she lied and said she didn't and now she's going to get away with it. You took two cookies. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I saw you. You're lying. You know, we were so, my steps had almost slipped because we're, he says, I'm looking at the wicked and they get away with it. People get away with a bunch of dumb stuff and I don't get away with anything, right? We have this emotion. It's very human. And it's worried about the behavior of others. But he says, look, I almost slipped. I almost messed up. I almost lost myself trying to control other people. And at the end of the psalm, he realizes, no, God is in control. And God, you're my portion. And basically, God, you're going to take care of business. Can I tell you one of the best things about believing in, in God and actually having a relationship with God and a faith in God? It's not that God will fix all of your micro problems in each micro moment to moment thing. It's that ultimately all of this mess, he's going to fix it. One of the things about being a homeowner that I don't enjoy is the fact that I own it and I have to fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? The other day, Bethany says, hey, our hose bib is leaking. And so as a you know, totally manly man, I was like, oh, I'll fix it. So about 20 hours later or whatever, I mean, I, I did. I fixed it. Don't cheer for me. Please don't. Okay, a little bit. You can do a little bit. I totally fixed it. And I asked her today, I was like, is it still not leaking? She's like, rock solid. Yes. So we'll see how it is after vacation. But when, th when stuff breaks, it's my responsibility. I don't have a landlord to call. I'm the landlord of my own house, right? A man is the king of his own falling apart castle, you know? And the, the mess is sort of on me to take care of. You know what I'm talking about? When we look at this world and we go, what a mess. Aren't you grateful that it's not ultimately on you to die for the sins of other people and save the world and fix people how they think and all that? And that if you'd relax and trust God and say, I can't control other people, but I can control how I respond, everything gets better, much, much less stressful. God is in control. So when I find myself worried about the world, the out there, everyone else, I just think, you know what, God? I, I don't think that behavior is good. I don't think what that person did is right. Maybe I even know it was wrong. Maybe it was even directly wrong against me. But I'm going to forgive and release and give that person to you. And I'm going to trust that you are on the throne. And even if I don't understand your timing or your judgments, God, if you are actually God, then I need to back off and let you be in control. And I can control how I respond. I can respond with forgiveness. I can respond with grace. I can respond with a good attitude in the face of indignities because God is in control. So what can we do? A couple handholds on this is that you can be slow to anger. You have the opportunity to be slow to anger. Dude, some of us have such a short fuse. We're like, we're like the, what you, what you, what you doing, Terry? Oh, Lord Jesus, you know? I don't know if you've seen that. You need to look it up. It's probably the best video ever made on the internet. But this guy's lighting a firework and it goes off right by him. Sometimes that's how we are. And, I, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes my fuse is so short it's like any little thing. I get like very mildly inconvenienced and I erupt. Well, I don't have to do that. What I can say is, you know what? I can't control what this person did. I can't control what happened. I can't control the river of life, but I can control how I respond. So I'm going to choose to be slow to anger. Maybe lower my blood pressure in the process, right? Added benefit. Forgive and release others. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, and I don't care. 
because a lot of people have done nasty garbage to me. Every one of us in here could choose to be a victim for some reason or another. No, you can't. You, you can't. Yes, yes, we all can. Every one of us in here has been victimized in some way, some shape, way, or form in the past. And guess what? We've all been the victimizer. We've all lied, cheated, stolen, hurt someone else, put our own needs above somebody else, didn't fulfill the role that we said we would, whatever. And so Jesus gives us this ability to say, guess what? I get to be a person of forgiveness. Well, they, you, they, I can't believe you forgave that person what they did to you. Well, yeah, but Jesus forgave me for all the stuff I've done. So I get to make a choice to forgive and release others. I can decide to be kind and gracious. What if they're mean to you? Even better. Jesus said anybody can love their friends, but I've given you the ability to love your enemies. The people that actively despise you, that don't like you, that would try to destroy you, you can actually be kind and gracious. There is never, I've thought through this at length, there is never a time where being kind is, is not valuable. Even if you were actively being attacked or whatever, you don't have to be unkind. You could defend yourself, but being kind is always a good idea. It's like always default a good position. And we have the ability to choose to be kind and gracious even to our enemies. Kind and gracious in victory, kind and gracious in defeat, kind and gracious, which is a reflection of the heart and character of God. And then what we can also do, because we're talking about this, that you can't control other people, we can check our own heart and actions. What if every time we wanted to react or respond, instead of that, instead of, our, instead of responding to someone else, what they did to us, perceived or real, we said, God, could you reveal to me what I could learn and how I could grow out of this situation. This type of thinking can be summed up in one word, maturity. Because mature people reflect and think about situations going on without reacting, and they are proactive in response and godly in their response. So if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus and become more like him, which is the point of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, student of Jesus, then what you should do is when you want to react... You should stop yourself and say, God, would you show me in my heart and my actions what I'm doing right now or what I could do to look like you, reflect you in this situation, right? We can check our own heart and actions. Number three, and we'll finish up with this, we need the Holy Spirit to control ourselves. You need the Holy Spirit to control yourself. Knowledge, wisdom, experience, and discipline aren't enough. So this is a trap we can fall into, is, especially as we start to mature in our walk with the Lord, is we begin to replace the fruit of the Spirit with the fruit of the flesh. I was talking about this today in our tag-in that Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. In other words, he took the yoke and the bond of slavery and the bond and the yoke of sin and the slavery you were under, and he gave you freedom. So why would you try to get that yoke back on you? Why would you try to embrace that, that same striving type of a thing? We need the Holy Spirit. You can't get smart enough. You can't get wise enough. You can't get experienced enough to control yourself. Uh, I, there's a, a coach that I, I was with for a while, and he said this, and I, I loved it. He said, if knowledge were enough, we'd all be billionaires with flat abs. Because we always know what to do. How many of you know today, if it was like broccoli, burger basket? Ice cream, cauliflower. 
you know what you should do, but we all know what we're going to do. Come on. Well, but I know, you know, and there are people that are very disciplined in food, but then they're probably not very disciplined in prayer. How many of you know we can all be really, really one up on somebody else in one area? Some people are like, I can't believe anyone's fat. How could that ever happen? Like, I'm so disciplined in food and exercise. Yeah, but you haven't prayed in like 10 years and you're a jerk. (laughs) Dude, like read your Bible and drink a Slurpee. You know what I mean? Like, or somebody's like, man, I can't believe people don't pray and read their Bible. 700 pounds, you know, this is me. Like I love, man, I'm so disciplined, so disciplined, except for the areas I'm not. Anybody else? So we can, we can get back in here. If knowledge were enough, we'd all be billionaires with flat abs. We know what to do, but that's not enough. Even the Apostle Paul, who, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote half the New Testament, he says in, he, he knew the law. like He knew it in, intimately. He was raised under the greatest teacher of the Jewish law, this Pharisee that taught him you know, from a young age. He was like, he, was like a, he calls himself the Jew of Jews. Like He knew everything about the, the law. He had this intimate knowledge. He knew the, every sort of piece and, and, and part of it. But listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, because I, I think this is incredible. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? If we ended it right here, this is the human condition apart from Jesus. If we cut this passage of scripture and just said, we're done, how, how crazy and horrible and awful would it be? Because this is actually what we are without God. That even with all the knowledge, experience, wisdom, even other people telling you what to do and coaching you, we still do the wrong stuff because there's this warfare, this schism inside of us always going back and forth. But it goes into verse 25. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Jesus really is the answer to every question in church. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And then he goes on in Romans 8. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. We move from the position of activity to the position of passivity from active participant in sin to passive recipient of grace and righteousness. The posture of a disciple is not someone who is doing everything they can do to be right with God. It is the person who is receiving what Jesus did for them in a posture of humility and and being a recipient and enjoying that new provision that comes from him. He says, There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, not because of how good you are, how disciplined you are, how much you know, how many books you've read, and how many days you checked off on your Bible reading plan, but because you belong to Christ Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
And this is where the whole passage ends. Galatians, we're talking about this, the fruit by the foot, the fruit of the Spirit. That ultimately we depend on the Holy Spirit to produce the good fruit in our lives. Out of all of it, all the things you could do, out of all the things you could try, you could strive, the the action that I want to lead us to today and what we do with all these fruits of the Spirit is to say, God, I tried and I failed. Jesus, you tried and you succeeded. And when I give my heart to you, my life to you, and I trust in you, and I open myself as a vessel of your Holy Spirit to dwell in me, to live in me, and to work through me, I will produce this beautiful fruit. But it will not come from my own effort. It will not come from my own striving. It will come as I receive from you the work of your Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Would you just lift up your hands like this today? Just lift up your hands kind of like a cup. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are in us. I thank you that as we've put our faith and trust in you, that the work of Jesus at the cross that you've given you to us, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you produce fruit, good and beautiful fruit in our lives. That where the Spirit flows, that good fruit grows. Gentleness and kindness and self-control, love and peace and patience. Thank you, Lord, that we would produce this fruit that would come through us, that you would produce it in us, not by our own striving or effort or earning, but as recipients of what you've done. And God, I pray that we would be transformed today, not to think I need to go work harder and be more self-controlled, but to say, Holy Spirit, work in me. I can't control what other people do. I can't control the river of life. I depend on you to help me navigate this river. Help me navigate my relationships. Holy Spirit, come and fill us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and keep your head bowed and your eyes closed real quick. If you're here today and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you've never done it. Maybe you've done it before, but you've walked away from him and you're not following him. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ today. And look, it's not a prayer that makes you a Christian. It's not magic words or praying the right words or doing the right thing or whatever. It's receiving what he did for you in faith confessing it and beginning to follow Jesus. This is the start of a journey, not the end of one. So if you're here today and you go, Pastor Jake, I want to trust and receive. I want to trust in Jesus and I want to receive what he did for me at the cross. And I want to follow him as his disciple. I want to turn from my sin and turn from my way of thinking and turn from trying to be self-directed and control myself. And I want to give him lordship of my life. Would you just raise your hand so I can see real quick? Anybody here today? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Thank you. Awesome. Anybody online as well? And let's pray this prayer together. Let's all pray it together. Dear Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy. Even my sin and failure, you didn't leave me in it, but you came to this planet and lived a perfect life and gave your life for me. Thank you for paying for my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your grace and mercy. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.